meeting number 2508, April the 5th, 2000. First off, something, same general area about which I've been speaking lately. I was going to give you a little about amusement with potential to do more than amuse. It's the kind of thing I just kept putting off ever mentioning myself and just sort of really put off looking into any great depth. Just kind of thing I like to, it's like stashing, years ago, stashing a bottle <laughs> of something really neat just in case. Sometime on the, especially back during, they used to have Sunday prohibition in this part of the country. This is one of the things I just kept letting hang around and I thought I'd let you have it. Is consider why it is, consider what's going on with the brain, that it is so fascinated and so captivated by certain things of its own invention. <laughs> to me, the greatest examples being such things as the idea of God, the idea of an afterlife. It does no good, you miss the point. You'll stay, whatever being asleep is, you'll stay asleep the rest of your life if you dismiss such things as uh, the idea of afterlife. From any rational view, you can dismiss it and you can scoff at it. And you can reach a point of feeling, as I used to joke with you, that you're on the wrong planet, that everybody's not slightly asleep, that the rest of the world's deranged to believe in such things. But you, you make a mistake. The brain, tell me I'm wrong, the brain has got to know what it's doing. The brain knows because it produces every thought, every word, every idea that any human ever had came from their brain. So the brain knows that it made up the idea that you live after you die. It made it up. Tell me what's going on that you know that the whole idea, everything involved with religion, and the afterlife's always tied to religion in some way. Religion and God, that whole schmear. Ask yourself, consider what is going on that the religious slash God thing has got to be the greatest source of fascination and captivation of humans on this planet. Nothing comes close. Things are coming closer. Movies. <laughs> but it still remains historically a high point of a thing, or uh, of the things that fascinate and captivate humanity. The brain knows that it invented it, and yet it acts as though it is absolutely carried away by the idea. Now what I've just mentioned, what I've just said, is no kind of personal speculation. It's just one way of describing a certain aspect of what's going on in this universe, but that's not my speculation. Because I'm not saying whether there's life after death or not. I'm saying that your brain doesn't know. And I'm saying that St. Paul's brain, Muhammad's brain, Buddha's brain, Jesus' brain, Moses' brain, nobody's brain knows. And the brains, the brains of humanity knows that it conjured up the idea. No matter how it started, it could have started out as wishful thinking. Boy, wouldn't it be nice if you didn't really die? <coughs> the brain knows that it made up the whole thing. What's going on that now the brain pretends it just acts as though what I've just said is not true? Not only that, 
but seems absolutely fascinated to the point of being captured by the idea. Well, I wrote some stuff. And I'm going to read the stuff. Here goes the stuff. Without any rancor, without any discernible rancor, I should add, a man said to a reputed mystic, it seems to me that you people seeking enlightenment have simply but totally misread the concept of concentration. A comment that instantly rendered the mystic dazed and unable to concentrate. That was one of the worst stories of the night is when I put it first to get out of the way. I said one of the worst. I had to go along with the normal sequence of things. I left the worst for the very last story. I'm just trying to give you some idea of what you're in for. A certain man lived by a racetrack which was constantly in use and was greatly disturbed by the noise thereof. His brother finally suggested that he become a mystic and achieve enlightenment, which the man did. He still lives by the track, and it is still in daily use. But he no longer notices the noise. A man went to a neurosurgeon with a strange story. Revealed he to the doctor, quote, For many years I have struggled to achieve what is known as the great liberation, the awakening from sleep, but with no success. So I'd like for you to cut out some parts of my brain. And the surprised and not little perplexed surgeon asked, Which parts? Oh, I'll leave that up to you, he replied. <laughs> nonchalantly no indifferently to aim at a nameable target is to be assured of missing it for to aim at it you must single it out separate it from its environment thus assuring that you will never grasp its full nature Remind yourself, who but the brain's thoughts say that you want to awaken? And who but the thoughts of the brain proclaim their apartness from all that surrounds them? A quite sketchy legend says that a certain man who made extraordinary strides in the journey to enlightenment employed but a single simple method of his own invention. Whatever he heard read or thought, he'd say, I don't get it. That was his sole mystical system, just continually saying, I don't get it. <laughs> At least anyone thinks that's just a humorous comment. Compare. Ordinary people, six million people on this planet, that is, what we consider to be sleeping, 
do get it. Walk up to somebody, ring a book. Make almost any kind of comment that just just skirts on the edges of making sense. Or walk up and listen to two people discussing anything, economics, politics, and get one of them aside. Or if one walks off, ask the other guy, you know, like you've been standing, listen, go, did you understand? Did you get it? What will people say? <laughs> oh, yeah. Stand next to a church. And when people come out, say, do you get it? Oh, yeah, oh, yeah. So based on that, the man's method does not sound, perhaps as you thought, simply to be a humorous little side adventure. That was his only method, because I don't get it. <laughs> Back to the reading. One reason that we are run by feelings rather than by thoughts is that feelings are much faster than thoughts. To which thoughts replied, not so. And the proof that tis not is the fact that I can think that tis not and feelings cannot stop me from doing so. So, what say ye to that? The talking leaves of the Takwood tree of Ungawa have fine sport mocking, as they would have it, the lowly station of the roots. A boy asked his father, if we can stabilize and concentrate our thoughts, can we do likewise with our feelings? And his father said that that was a much too explosive idea for a boy of his age to be playing with. Okay, here's something to toy with. If those interested in the idea of waking up didn't take the idea of being asleep so seriously, they'd be a bit more awake already. And a fashion tip. A man who still doesn't fully appreciate the role of feelings in all of this should not look down and scoff at his own shoes. Oh, are those wingtips you're wearing or are you just annoyed to see me? Here. And one more time, I invite you all to sing along. Oh, you can't get away. No, you'll never get away. Because there ain't no way. There's only here. My dear. It's nice to see that you're all in voice. After reading on the subject for a while, a boy came to his father and announced... I want to wake up, to which as Peter rejoined, first learn to concentrate, uninterrupted, for 20 minutes, which the lad departed to undertake, only to return the next day with the whiny complaint that such a feat was too difficult, at which point the elder gave a new directive then go learn to say the multiplication tables backwards while mentally running through the periodic table. And with obviously relief, the boy exclaimed, All right! And off he went. <laughs> Moral. Good mystics aren't in a day made.
No, sir. You've got to break a plethora of misconceptions to ever come up with the omelet known as the Denver Enlightenment. When the right kind of people first hear of the idea of being able to alter one's state of mind, they immediately want to know the simple way of doing it. But all save a very few never see the simple way because of its glaring simplicity. There was once a man who, in his walks through the woods, was continually confronted by a very noisy creature whose den always spoiled his stroll. He eventually discovered a trick which put an end to the creature's ability to affect him. Its noise became irrelevant if he would impersonally and unflinchingly look directly at it. Note, human brains are not naturally inclined to do this. However, they are programmed to be noisy. I add this just in case you missed the whole point of the story. There's this one man who will read mystical writings only by authors whose name he cannot pronounce. So as to be unable to quote them later. <laughs> And carried to a ridiculous extreme, I guess the ultimate in this regard would be to move to a foreign land where you would never know what anyone was saying and thus thinking. Did I say ridiculous? Suddenly it strikes me that we should in fact consider how this whole approach could be employed in our own thinking about matters mystical. There was once a monastery devoted to finding out what's going on. And when a new student was accepted, he was told to be silent and read the master's writings for the next 10 years. Then he could ask a question. After each monk had been there without speaking for the noted 10 years, one of the master's assistant would come to the monk and ask if he had a question to ask the master. And if the monk said yes, the master would then have him thrown out. The difference between a real mystic and a make-believe one is that the latter believes in mysticism. Okay, here's another of those annoying little facts that may be realized only by you and me, now that I'm telling you. It doesn't ultimately matter whether there is actually such a thing as awakening as long as you vigorously pursue it for an adequate period of time and don't get drowned in it. It then works out just as you want it. A man with a dog, a canary, or a rat in his house will never catch on to what's going on. Well, more exactly, if he continues to pay attention to them. Simple seekers think that they're being misled by the delusions of the world, or by evil forces, or by fate, or their own karma. The alert man discovers that only the thoughts in his brain do this job. 
I gotta say something. Well, I'll forget this one. Do watch and don't let your attention be drugged off by your own thinking that this is a social criticism. Do you know I don't, but you're supposed to know, I don't bother to deal in that. Sometimes it sounds that way to try to get you to look at the same thing we're always talking about, your own thoughts. But that is, all the way from ordinary people down to those who claim to be involved with the attempt to awaken, to seek enlightenment, they all believe, especially when we get down to the so-called mystical area, they all speak of, from 4,000, 5,000 years ago up till today, they all speak of being deluded. Some of the oldest writings in the Vedic literature is the delusions of humanity. <laughs> that men are deluded. That was one of the early synonyms for being asleep. That we live in a state of delusion. We live in a, if you live in the ordinary world, you live in a world of delusion. And when you hear that, if you're the right kind of person to be in, attracted to this sort of thing, it's just as strong as the idea that man is asleep and by, through certain efforts can awaken. Because when you hear that you're deluded, that man is deluded, if you have the right kind of generic wiring to ever be attracted to this, I suggest you, if that's the first one you heard, that should strike you just as well as any. Deluded, that's it. Because if you're wired up to do this, by then, on your own, you should have been some sort of social critic. You should have been playing out the kind of allegorical story of Jesus, those kinds of stories, but of him being 12, 13 years old and coming into the temple. That is the place that represented the highest level of understanding in his day. And he went in there and blew his top. So what in the hell is this? This has nothing to do with what should be. And of course, the way it turns out in people's minds, the way it's really written, that what's going on in the temple had nothing to do with religion, with seeking the kingdom of heaven, that they were in there doing business, uh, doing horoscopes, lending money. When you hear, when mystics hear, we are deluded that man lives in a state of delusion and the whole point of this kind of activity is to get free from the delusions. Then everyone immediately, if, if the book or someone doesn't point out, people immediately look around and go, yes. Because then you have, again I say, if you are the archetypical kind of would-be mystic, you have already looked around at life. Hate to make you feel bad if you didn't do it before the age of 12, like brother Jesus did but somewhere by then you should have become a social critic you probably if you were my kind of archetypical would be mystic you probably already had a greater rapier wit at the, in your teens than did Robert Benchley or James Thurber or Mencken that you had already looked around and realized the world is nothing but irony even if you know what it was that your parents went to church and prayed and made all kinds of promises and then come home and did just the opposite. Or that teachers would 
talk to you about some subject and it sounded fine, you could read it there in the book, and then after class you'd go up and ask them a question that wasn't there on the page, and you'd say, well, this reminds me, just, and you ask them a question, and they go blank. So in other words, you have already found out that those who proclaim to be living a certain kind of religious life do not do so. You find the rabbi down the street in a bar, you find a priest, they catch a priest with somebody's wife or a choir boy. You find out teachers, the exponents of education and knowledge, don't know anything unless it's in the book, and you realize, well, hell, I got the book. So you're in that kind of condition. And then you read, man is deluded. And you look around, you go, yes. And if it's not pointed out, you immediately believe that you see the sources. But then if you read a little bit into the mystical literature, it will encourage you along such lines as it could have been a flaw in man's past. It could have been a flaw in the development, the evolution of humanity. It could be some sort of curse in this obscure corner of the universe. Or it could, of course, be your karma. You can't remember, but you have lived other lives and you'll live subsequent lives. But it's the folly of your previous lives are now coming back to haunt you, and they're causing the delusions of your mind. Plus, other people apparently are the greatest source of delusion because they're liars, they're idiots, they have nefarious plots, and so they're always lying to you, trying to trick you. You're just surrounded by delusion. As long as you have any, as long as you believe that, as long as that's what you think, you'll never get past a certain point. Or if you don't know the truth, you'll never get anywhere, but just in case, if you're still there, I hate to make you feel bad. <laughs> so what I said was, simple seekers think that they're being misled by the, by the delusions of the world, or by evil forces, or by fate, or even their own karma. Whereas an alert man discovers that only the thoughts in his brains take care of this job. If you see that on a full-time basis, if you want another description, I say that you're awake. That you realize that the only delusions, the only form of sleep, the only thing, well, delusions covers it to me. The only delusions, the only misdirection, the only... comes from the thoughts that your brain produces. That's it. There is nothing else to see. There's nothing else to talk about. There's nothing else to look for. Back to the reading. Returning from a day in the world, a father said to his son, quote, Today I encountered a most impressive sight. I saw a man who could endlessly pat his head while rubbing his stomach and at the same time play you a chess game in his head. Wow, responded the lad. Was he awake? And the elder's head jerked up in surprise. Huh, he said, you know, I didn't even think of that. Which offers this lesson. You can't let your attention be enchanted by externals and have the ability to put thoughts to any profitable use. I was about to back up and make sure that that was plain. When a man is in the ordinary state of mind, his thoughts are like a little boat riding atop ever-rolling waves, continually bobbing up and down, siding forward and back, fore and aft, but never actually, what? Going anywhere. 
The reason certain brains, or men if you prefer, are drawn to the academic and scientific life is that such affords them the required reasons to concentrate their thoughts. An act that under routine everyday conditions men find to range from the merely annoying to the downright distasteful. Without there being a specific useful reason it can accept as such, the brain is not naturally given to concentrating its thoughts on one subject for extended periods. Of course, what this has to do with the goal of the mystics. I just read them. Well, and write them, but I mainly just read them. Then there's this guy who lives down the street from some mountains who developed his own private approach to achieving the goal. He says, don't respond to anything but being physically touched. Don't respond to anything anyone says or anyone does. End quote. And that's his message. Truth is, what he's describing is a mind that knows what's going on. Truth is, it's really tough being independent when you and everything else are all part of the same one thing. Every day this one father would ask his son a new question. And if the boy hesitated at all before responding, the elder would slap him. And on days when the lad would respond immediately to the question, the old man would kick him. He told the boy to never believe that you can tell where anything is coming from. Since there is no from. One man would shout into an echo canyon for fun, thinking that it was his shouting that was the cause of the echo, whereas it was the existence of the echo canyon that made him shout. <laughs> I did have some faith that some of you off of that one might get a toehold on what I've been talking about. It may just sound funny, or you know I didn't mean it as a joke. It may just, don't let it just cause you to smile. But at least for today, it just came upon me that that, it just, to me, is the greatest example I could think of, of what I've been talking about. But think about it first from an ordinary view. Look, there's a sign, Echo Canyon. This guy's supposed to live next door to it. And he would go out and shout, you know. Yahoo! Yahoo! And so as far as him or any ordinary person was concerned, his shouting is what made the echo come back from the echo canyon. His shouting made it. Whereas, the canyon being there that causes echoes It's what makes him shout into it. Don't just smile and look away. Well, if that's the best you can do, all right. Just for now. But I'm telling you, think about that. It's the kind of thing that hurts, I think, ordinary brain operation. Because you can hear it and the sentence makes sense. But, you know, to me, 
on your behalf, your ordinary brain kind of wants to squint up its eyes and go, you know, shake its head and like get it out of here. You can't deny it though. Your brain tells you, all common sense would tell you, would agree that the man believes, thinks, he could say. Although he would never think to say it unless you ask him because it's obvious. That him shouting into the canyon is what causes the echo. Except the echo, except the canyon being situated in such a way as to cause echoes is what makes the man come in and shout into it. If it was just a hundred acres of desert that he lived next to, or a plain, he wouldn't go out and shout at it. He wouldn't go out and holler, Echo! Everything you do, so when I was trying a few nights ago, I was giving that kind of example. I was doing a condensed version of a certain scientific attitude that says that no matter how exactly, no matter what the precise details were that brought about life in this universe, life on this planet, then a very factual, intelligent, scientific view is what I'm describing is they would say no matter what the details are, even though we may not know the exact details yet as to how life had to arise originally from inorganic matter, that life came from the lifeless. Even though we don't have the exact details, there is no doubt about this. We know enough. We're down to the point, which I won't go through. You've probably read of the kind of experiments they've done over the last couple of decades. They have not been actually able to get that final spark to create life right there in a test tube from inorganic matter. They've done everything but. But at any rate, the, the view is that no matter what, how specifically, how exactly life came about, even though we don't know right now the details, we know this without any doubt. However it came about, it was by way of known scientific laws. But life, as it's called in that sentence, life is what caused men to make these scientific laws. The environment makes you do what you do as much as people, men believing, well, what I do is affecting the environment. Well, the others, no doubt. <laughs> Look, we are here polluting rivers. But you don't understand. This, I know, sounds on the surface even yuckier. <laughs> what I was going to say was the rivers make you pollute them. It's really a better view is life on this planet. And there's no way that I could debate anyone's brain, nor would I try, that anyone's ordinary brain go, no, nah, life doesn't want us to throw mud and garbage in the river. I'm not even going to argue that. Nor should you. You'd be wasting your time. 
Do you understand that life on this planet makes humans do everything that they do? The whole idea that we're in some way separate? There is not a greater example of being asleep, of being deluded. That in any way, forget the ideas of predestination as opposed to free will. That always brings it again down to such a local level that it can't be debated. You can't make anyone see past that if they have a position to take, if they believe in one or the other, or even if they believe that it is one or the other. I'm giving you a more universal, a non-local view of it. Forget whether man is predestined. Forget whether man is an automatic piece of reactionary machinery. Just forget all that. Just open your eyes and you don't have to look around. Just open your eyes a little bit wider in your head. Everything that humans do, the universe makes them do it. Everything that stars do. Our sun didn't just decide, well, I think I'll catch on fire. <laughs> oh, well. Back to what I was reading. Well, it's about the man that shot it in the canyon. There's another little piece. I ah, never mind. I already covered that. Back to the reading. Men's persistence in telling how they feel is the brain's attempt, through the use of words, to give thoughts the impression that they can overcome or at least partially neutralize the power of feelings. Those without a clear con comprehension of how the brain works will never have a full appreciation of the word devious or determined or dazzling. A father said to his son, you would be helped greatly on your trek toward the goal if you would listen undistracted to each and every word you speak. Some years after usefully employing this method, the lad saw the lad saw how to apply it to everyday thought that presented itself to be thought. Let me go ahead and finish reading. This was I was going to. Why do men, have you ever been, surely you have been curious or puzzled at some time as to why you and everyone else, that the brains and humans, it's just across the board, cause men to continually talk about how they feel. How they feel. Not even what they think. Because when they intend to say what they think, most of the time they say, how I feel. Talking politics, somebody say, well, I'll tell you the way I feel about the upcoming election. I'll tell you the way I feel about the Republican agenda. I'll tell you how I feel about the Socialist Party. But down to the kind of specific. By now, surely it has struck you as curious. Especially if you got past being critical of it or just sarcastic of it and others, if not yourself, of why are people continually talking about how they feel? 
I mean, if you're just standing, you see two strangers in a line at the grocery store. And one of them says something, it sure is hot today. First says, I know I've been feeling so bad because of this heat. And the person say, and you know that they'll start interrupting each other. They're fighting for space to talk about how bad they feel. How angry they feel about something. People just talk about all kinds of apparent intimate affairs. The two people, two strangers at a bus stop. And some, a girl will go by in a revealing outfit. One woman will turn to a complete stranger and say, I don't know what is going to happen to young people if they keep dressing like this. And no one say, I know it. I have been so angry. My daughter dresses like a prostitute. My son dresses like he's from some kind of you know, concentration camp for the deranged. <laughs> I am so angry. And plus, I, 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 I am really upset because I think my husband's sleeping around on me. Just two strangers. Just people go on and on and on and on. What I'm offering to you, I was going ahead and finished reading, but I just wanted to point it out. I may come to it some later time. Consider this. In other words, what I'm proposing is you can't find any rational reason for people talking about how they feel to the extent they do. Or from one view, what's the reason people talk about how they feel? Other than to a doctor and to a specialist. What do you, how, how may I help you, sir or madam? You go, my foot hurts, assuming that you're a podiatrist. <laughs> Or perhaps you're in a restaurant and you're sweating bullets. And the manager, the owner comes up and says, how is everything? And you say, I feel unusually hot. And he says, well, I'll turn down the air conditioner. Other than such as that, why are people talking about how they feel? You could dismiss it as some sort of weakness or just people are stupid or that people won't be the center of attention. You could come up with all kinds of explanations such as that. What I present to you, what I propose to you is this model, the persistence of men telling how they feel, just all the time, for good or ill. Consider this possibility, this model. It is the brain attempting to give the thoughts it's producing. It's to give the thoughts the impression I started to put to delude them, to fool them. But let's, it, to give thoughts the impression that by talking, that this is what's at the base of it, that by talking about how they feel, they can either overcome the way they feel or at least partially neutralize it by talking about it. That it gives thoughts the illusion of having power, strength, vis-a-vis -vis feelings that, they, that thoughts do not have. But I've tried to get you to consider in other ways. Thoughts flex their muscles, whatever they might be, the illusion of muscles, through talking. Sometimes people do it through writing, of course, but it's the same thing as talking. It's just drier. In case you never thought about it, how do thoughts not only exercise any authority or control, how do they even display their existence? 
If you never spoke, how would anybody know that you even had a thought? It is through, th it is through speech that thoughts display not only improve their existence, but they display their strength. Why do people argue? Why are two strangers arguing over the relative strengths of a basketball, of basketball teams in a bar? I don't didn't mean to throw in the alcohol, they're just ordinary people. Why are they arguing about something and get passionate about it? And if you don't like sports, politics is just as irrelevant, or religion. And they, you know, the, the pitch and the fever of the debate will continue to rise and they'll argue, you know, the Lakers, now the Clippers, the Lakers. They go on and on, the National League versus the American League, Protestantism versus Catholicism. What in the hell are you talking about? You don't know anything. Now stop listening to me. Let me tell you, here's what you're not taking consideration. And you can listen to it again and think, what in the hell is going on? Are they idiots? How else do thoughts even exhibit their existence? And how do they, not only after they once exhibit their existence, that once you speak, at least people think, assume that you have some thoughts. But how do you show that your thoughts have any potency? Now, consider what I said about men talking continually about how they feel. Rather than just dismiss it, consider, because anything, even if I have led you, uh, or led you to believe that I, or led you to take it, assume it yourself, that things such as this are just a matter of dismissal, like, well, people are asleep. That's why they talk about themselves. No waking man wouldn't talk about how he feels. He could be dying, but he wouldn't tell anybody. He just carry on. That's just the way an awakened man would do. And that has a certain appeal to the brains of humans. It doesn't have to be the term awakened, it's just the heroic epic. <laughs> yeah. The Jesus kind of story. Being crucified. Didn't say a word. Oh yeah, he bled. He might have grimaced, but didn't say a word. Well, except that unfortunate little part <laughs> right at the end. <laughs> I always liked Socrates' approach better. You know, they gave him the poison, and he's already declined all, all, all efforts to escape. But no, he's already told me he's holding it. I'm, I'm going to drink it. But then he spends, whatever it takes, I didn't, if you read it, but he spent evidently like an hour saying everything he had to say before he drank it, instead of drinking it and then going, God damn, what the hell have I just done? <laughs> they got to be too much, and he goes, God damn. <laughs> to me it just kind of took the blush off of it right there at the end but see Socrates just got out of the way he just took off on everybody and then said tally ho and drank it and according to all reports didn't say anything of course hemlock is supposed to work even quicker than Jack Daniels but <laughs> anyway rather than just dismissing consider and you do it and even when you don't do it, if you know it's your thoughts, you're constantly wanting to talk about how you feel. Let's say that you've gotten to the point, some of you probably willfully try to do it, that somebody's talking and they just mention, just an ordinary person, they mention, God, I've had this flu that's hung on now for three months. This is the worst case of flu. It must be a whole new hearty strain. I can't shake it. 
And maybe you have got the same thing or the same symptoms. And you may even try not to say anything, but you'll notice in your thoughts, you're going, you're already answering them silently to the person like, you know, tell me about it. I couldn't get out of bed for a week. I have never had the flu like that. I've always been a healthy person. You're talking all this to yourself. And I can point out to you, but you're missing it if you go, yeah, yeah, it's just I'm asleep. People are asleep. I mean, they just want to whine. You can say that, but you're missing it. As I'm saying, or tried to point out to you Wednesday, if you just take the idea that men are asleep, and you take that as being an anomalous situation against which we're struggling, that us, us few individuals are struggling to uh, remedy this mistaken, this erroneous state, you're at a disadvantage. You eventually got to get over that and realize that that is man's normal state. There's nothing abnormal about people talking about their feelings. But I'm finally, and I never read it, of course you should know by now, I never read it, no one had told me any of this. It's just me looking into it, and I can see, not that this is the only possible way of looking at it, but I, no, I, without any doubt I see that the brain producing its own thoughts. The brain knows what it's doing. Where I ask you in that little amusement I gave you tonight, is the brain almost seems to be intent on fooling itself, which it can't be. Not only it can't be intended, or even if it does intend to do it, it can't succeed. But at any rate, the brain causing thoughts by making it talk about feelings, by making you apparently talk about well, how I feel, then I can see one way that this is a fact. This is one valid way, one valid model of what's going on. The brain is making the thoughts it produces. It's like it's fooling the little thoughts. You know, doing something. I'm not... But it's making these thoughts by talking about the way you feel. By making the thoughts talk about feelings, which feelings don't talk. But by making thoughts talk about feelings, it gives thoughts the impression that they can overcome feelings. That in certain ways, they are superior. They're stronger. You take it from there for the time being. Back to the reading. A man visited an ophthalmologist with an unexpected account. Accounted he, quote, For most of my life I have sought the enlightened state of mind, but without success. So what I would now like is for you to fix my eyes so that one of them is always looking at the other one. A request which damn near gave enlightenment to an eavesdropping nurse. <laughs> and now some physics news. Everyone would understand what being awake means if motion was not such a stickler for its strict definition. Ordinary men are always on the way to somewhere, while those who know what's going on never leave home. One day as the universe was sitting in the meditative position, meditative position, trying to contemplate its navel, the universe, it thought, what is it that humans get out of this? Well, one of the mortal advantages that one of the mortal advantages is that we can know 
that is what we get out of it while the universe can't <laughs> this is also known as the great illusionary mortal advantage I wanted to quickly add before you got carried away there that is before your thoughts got carried away with themselves and we now have a revised update to a story covered earlier this week a certain man found a large creature in his house so large in fact uh, I don't have time that was going to be the heart of what I was going to say tonight I'll have to say it to next time I can't even get started well, it's been nearly an hour. Most of you had all you can take. Some of us had more than you can take. Some of you didn't even take much. <laughs> all this stuff, my last comment. The story that I earlier read that I made up, it was once a man who, in his walks, through the woods was constantly confronted by a very noisy creature whose den always spoiled his stroll. I'll leave it to you a picture of what this, this thing jumps out and it makes so much noise it just spoils everything. I mean, there's a man out for a stroll in the woods. But he eventually discovered, personally, he discovered a trick that would put an end to the creature's irritation of him. That is, when it would jump out and the noise, the den that it made that normally annoyed him all he had to do was look unflinchingly at it and it no longer bothered him the man that I just read about who went to the ophthalmologist and said after spending most of his life trying to achieve the great awakening and not succeeding he now came to the good doctor with a request to fix his eyes so that one of them was always looking at the other one. As shockingly simple as a few of you here in other cities have seen this thing to be of late. Here is one way to look at the simplicity that evades everyone for so long. Whatever it is that you personally, by now, whatever you consider to be the state that you're trying to change, however your condition, whatever it is, what, what I normally just go ahead and refer to as being asleep, however you think about that, then take what to you is being asleep. And if you will just unflinchingly just look at it, something will happen but the reality of this has been so stirred up uh, and I did my share because for a while I saw it in a murky way I saw it in a very complex manner which I don't I repeat I don't know how anyone can fail to go through that because not because of you but because now I understand more than I did about these things called thoughts that the brain produces. And so within all kinds of complex sounding, convoluted, 
and impossible to complete methods and disciplines over the last 5,000 years listed by so-called systems from every part of this globe, at the heart of it is what I just told you. If you look at the beast that jumps out and annoys you, I hate to make it this, I said unflinchingly, save me Lord from doing this. I was going to add one more adjective. Once you get to where you can do it, you don't need, you know by now. Secret motto is fuck adjectives. There were some adverbs about enough, but at least they're latched on to actions and not the illusions of objects. But at any rate, if you just look at the beast unflinchingly and impersonally, it's just one of those things. Of course, if you could be impersonal, I hadn't said this in many years, if you could be impersonal about you, you'd wake up real quickly. You would. You know, some of you, I don't know whether anybody's been around long enough. It's been 30 years since I said it in that way to anybody. Because the time I did say it, and I didn't even understand this clearly, well, I understood it, but now even more intensely. But if you could be impersonal, and to make sure you don't have any doubt, if you could be indifferent about yourself, now this is from the cortex up. Because you know you can't be indifferent about your health, about eating and getting sleep, etc. So when I say self, I'm talking about what you consider to be you, your personality, your eyes. If you could be indifferent, impersonal about you, you would wake up, and very shortly. But the reason I don't ever say it is then you want to ask, because I would have, you want to ask, well, if you're telling me the truth, if you understand it, then tell me how to be indifferent toward myself. And that's why I hadn't said it in about 30 years, because the first time somebody asked me, I thought, well, shit, boy, did I put my foot into it, because I can't do it all the time. I couldn't back then. And I thought so. And plus, I had no, how do you teach somebody to be impersonal about themselves? Well, you think about it. I don't mean that was some shortcoming of mine. I challenge you. Assuming I'm telling you the truth. But if you told somebody, you know, well, the secret is, I've got on good authority, the the secret is, or a secret, is if you could be truly impersonal about yourself, indifferent toward you, this, the non-physical you, the, the intellectual, the mental, the spiritual, the individual, the non-physical you. I've got on good authority to tell somebody that if you can be impersonal about that, you would wake up very quickly. I stress very. And then somebody says, well, that sounds interesting. I never thought about it that way. And they say, how do you go about that? What would you tell them? And don't, and don't you know, slag this off by saying, well, I don't really understand it, so I certainly couldn't tell them. I'm telling you if you understood it. Let's play like you understood it, just for, to play this mental game. How would you teach somebody to be impersonal? Well, see, first off, if you don't get this, we're talking about the mind again. If you said, okay, I'm going to try you've already stopped them from being impersonal. <laughs> because if you say, all right, there is a way to go about it. There is a way, and I'll tell it to you. They're no longer impersonal. Because now they go, wait a minute. I want to write this down. I want to remember it. Because now they are taking it personally. So you can't teach anybody to be impersonal, but I'm telling you the truth. And well, enough of you have 
shuffled along enough in this that if you look at it in a certain way, you are. You take yourself less personally than you used to. There is this danger, I keep calling it danger, is that happens with age. And I keep warning everybody about that, as you notice, and about don't take credit for stuff. <laughs> but here of late, I begin to think, what the hell, why not you're going to get old anyway? <laughs> you know, if you do show more signs of being awake, I don't mean show them to other people, but if you feel like, well, I don't take myself as seriously, I don't take things as personal as I used to, but for a long time, I wouldn't accept that to me. I go, well, no, because I'm aware of what's going on. Part of it is just hormones running down. You're just getting older, and I can see it in everybody. Well, that's the old story. That's as old as any other writings or notions that humans get wiser the older they get. Now, for that, too, they don't get wiser. They begin to get impotent, frightened. They're too old and tired to fight. They've lost interest. They're not going to try to take your girlfriend. They're just getting older, and they're not even interested in arguing politics. They don't care anymore. They may have some terminal disease or fairly sick. You know, they hear some idea about, can you believe who the Republicans may nominate this year? And if you're 60 years old or 70 years old and you got cancer or, you know, something, well, you know what will happen. You know, a man go, Jesus. And somebody younger go, is that wisdom or not? He realizes the folly. <laughs> he just old and he doesn't care. So I used to said, you know, ignore that. This was off to the side of all this. But of late, I began to think, well, you can, I can say ignore it, but it's going to happen anyway. It's just like an added benefit. It may not mean me getting more awake or wiser, but at least, you know, it helped. At least I got less in the way. But back to what I was saying. If you could be impersonal, if you could be nonchalant, I was playing with the word earlier. Nonchalant, actually, one of the definitions of nonchalant is indifferent. But the reason I didn't put it in the news item, because to me, the connotation, it could be just me, but nonchalant doesn't address the intensity to the same degree, to me, as the word indifferent. To me, nonchalant, and in fact, now that I think about it, I believe one of the definitions is, uh, I forget how it was put, but that one of the definitions is nonchalant is that you have no particular, it's kind of, you know, come see, come saw, or I don't care particularly. But to me, indifferent is much more specific. Because indifferent is not come see, come saw. Like, you know, whatever will. Indifferent means what it means. If you say more, it's just, I don't care. I truly do not care. I have no, I don't care what happens in this particular subject. If you could be indifferent about you, the you that we speak of, the you that is the mask that the brain puts on thoughts, if you were indifferent to that, you'd be awake very shortly if you could just do that. Now, I'm talking about shortly. I can see it now. There's no doubt about it. But the thing is, you can't teach anybody. I can keep insisting, boy, you'd wake up real quick. And you go, well, tell me, well, how do you be indifferent toward yourself? You know, there's the rub. <laughs> but at least it's something. I used it for years that I went, I knew it was true. Just one of those things. I just knew it had to be so. I just couldn't get any, I couldn't tell anybody else. Plus, I couldn't tell me. How do you become indifferent? But if you keep looking at what bothers you, 
you become less different to it. And as I started to say, if you just keep reminding yourself of just the possibility, just the words that I said, this wouldn't hurt you at all, trust me. It's not a magic incantation or anything, but if you just remember me saying that if you could be truly indifferent about you, you would wake up very shortly. If you just remember that, just see what happens, just what you can make of it. Even let me telling you how to do it, which I can't tell you how to be indifferent, how to be impersonal about your person. Bye-bye.